You are listening to the Amazing Women podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Hi, Alinka. This is Alinka Rutkowska, and she owns uh, Leaders Press. So Leaders Press is located where? Well, we serve the U.S. mostly, but since I live in Italy, we're registered in Italy. But the team is about 30 people right now in the U.S., in Europe, and also some team members in Asia. Okay, well, that's a big advantage over most people I talk to. You, you mentioned Italy, and right away their eyes light up. Is everybody seems to love <laughs> Italy? So you're lucky to be able to to live and work there. Uh, mm-hmm. And you got kind of the best of both worlds because I imagine there's a lot more books produced and sold in America than in Italy. So you oh know, yeah, right. And, and uh, tell us a little bit about you know what's the main goal of your business? What is the what do you what do you provide people? What's what's the main service that you provide? Well, the main goal is to help entrepreneurs turn their wisdom into best-selling publications and distribute them traditionally around the U.S. and around the world. So we were born as a publisher who helps entrepreneurs ghostwrite their books. Now we also work with manuscripts if uh, they're at a certain level, and we get them on bestseller lists and onto bookshelves. Well, that's that's quite a <laughs> quite a claim. T- tell us, uh, what do you consider a bestseller? Because I know I've talked to people, and there's different definitions out there. Some people think if they're on Amazon's best, you know, they were number one in that category for ten minutes, they're a bestseller. I, I don't really necessarily agree with that. What, what do you? How do you define a bestseller? Right. So we have two categories, and one. Uh, is the Amazon bestseller status because, you know, there's the badge and Amazon gives you the status. There's about, there's thousands of categories that you can achieve that in. They change every hour. So it's relatively easy to do when you know what you're doing. Then we have the USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller status. So that's uh, quite a different story. There are 150 slots on the USA Today bestseller list and uh, it changes every week. So only 150 books every week will have a chance to be there as opposed to tens of thousands of books every hour. So the difference <laughs> is very significant uh, and we're able to provide uh, either or, or both of these statuses. So what, what's considered more prestigious, the Wall Street Journal or the USA Today bestseller list? Or does it really matter? I think uh, this is a perception thing. Um, USA Today uh, has all genres on its lists, whereas Wall Street Journal focuses mainly on business books, but also broader nonfiction. On Wall Street Journal, you have, I think, seven different lists, and each has 10 spots. I actually um, have a bunch of these um, (laughs) with me if you feel... If you hear the paper moving, yeah. so USA Today is, uh, you know, all types of books together, cookbooks, fiction, nonfiction, all on the same I list. See. And Wall Street Journal has uh, has about seven lists that are 10 uh, spots each. 
And so with the same number of sales, it's easier to get higher on the Wall Street Journal list just because of the niche down genres, but you have to be in those genres, so business mostly, some nonfiction. And so is it fair to say that the, the audience is very different that reads the, the journal versus the USA Today? It's the classification, uh, how the, those books are being uh, classified on those lists. And yeah, I, I mean, the audience will be different too. Right. So like my real question is, you know, who cares about those lists? They, pub- I guess they're published in other places besides their own publications. But I, I'm assuming that people who read the Wall Street Journal daily, which is a lot of business people, uh, they will look at that list. They'll look at the books. And USA Today is a you know newspaper, right? And they, I imagine these days, most of the readers are on, on online reading it, but the audience is, is kind of different. And uh, even though both lists might be accessible, w- wouldn't you say that the Wall Street Journal readers will see their bestseller list more often than, than the USA Today list and vice versa? Well, you know, it depends a lot on the target audience, as you're saying. So if you're a business person, you probably do want people reading the Wall Street Journal to see your book there. Uh, it is, however, more difficult. You need more sales to get on the USA Today bestseller list. All right. So they each have their own difficulties and challenges, and they're both very prestigious. And if you get on either one of those, that's a great accolade. And uh, I would imagine that it's valuable to be able to say, I'm on the Wall Street Journal or the USA Today bestseller list, more so even than people reading it and looking for a book. Being able to say that is probably very valuable. Is that right? Yes. Well, we have examples of authors um, who've worked with us. Um, at the moment, we've sent more than 130 authors on those lists. And uh, we have examples of authors saying that they doubled their speaking fee after uh, achieving the status. And uh, they're now booking right and left with that you know, doubled fee. So that's what you can do as a speaker. If you're a consultant, you can have the same motivation. Like you can increase your fees because now you're um, not only competing with other consultants who have the same title as you consultant. Now you are a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author and consultant. So that elevates the status. And in the minds of the potential client, um, you are more knowledgeable because you have that accolade. Now, this might be true. <laughs> it might not be true because, you know, the knowledge you had before you hit the list and after you hit the list is probably the same, but it's the, you know, the aura sort of that uh, starts surrounding you because of it that uh, attracts clients. Well, you know, I'm going to be holding a, a, a mastermind group on how to write a book for business and, one of the things, one of the main things I say is that, <laughs> excuse me, it's what you just said. You know, if, if you have two speakers and, and they are approaching uh, an event planner to get the gig and one of them has a book about what they're going to talk about and the other one doesn't, the one who has the book almost always gets the, gets the gig, not the other one, correct? Yes. And then the one who has a best-selling or USA Today or Wall Street Journal best-selling book would get it. Uh, rather than the one that has the regular okay. book. <laughs> so it's very, very, very valuable to be able to say that you've been on one of those lists. Either one probably doesn't matter. 
And now does it make a difference whether you got out a piece of paper and a pen or a computer and a, and a program or, or you hire a ghostwriter like your company to write it? Does that make any difference at all as far as how they use the book? No, you can't even tell. So unless the author who has used a ghostwriter specifically uh, mentions that in the foreword or somewhere in the acknowledgments, if they don't do that, there's no way you as a reader can know that the book has been ghostwritten. So I imagine you would love that if they, if they give you credit, but I would also imagine that they almost never do. They, they just say, I wrote it. Right. They take yes. the credit. Don't they? Yes. And uh, as a publisher, uh, Leaders Press, we work both with uh, ideas and help entrepreneurs write them. So we write them for them and we work with manuscripts. So you're not really able to tell which book has been uh, ghostwritten and which one has been written by the author. Well, maybe when you read it, <laughs> you'll see that the ones that read better actually have been ghostwritten. Yeah, probably because the professional writers. A lot. I've often said something like, the best way to write a book is not to write it at all, but I, I write it to write it for you. Uh, so yep. the process, is it very complicated? Is it difficult? Is it easy? Is it long, short? Tell us a little bit about, about it, about the process. Well, it's easy because writer. we make it easy. Ah. Well, first of all, uh, we, I think the biggest um, strength that we have is that we allow entrepreneurs not to waste their time. So uh, when we get started on a book project, first we make sure that the book is positioned well. So we know exactly where it's going to sit on the shelf or on the virtual bookshelf. And then we write a book specifically for the target audience you know, that they want to reach. We, ma we make sure that the book fits in to an already established category, but also stands out. So it's different than the other books around it and gives the reader a reason to pick them, to pick that book, as opposed to the others next to, the, next to that book. That's the first thing we do. Hmm. And many people, many writers just that are unexperienced, they just start writing and then they're like, ah, oh, position, you all never even thought of that. So when you do that well, you know, right at the start, you're already uh, positioning yourself for success. So that's the first thing. Then we create an outline. So it's really important to know what the book will be about. Really, the outline is the book. And then you just need to fill in the blanks. So we do it in a series of interviews. We focus on those um, chapter headlines, chapter titles that we uh, established and interview the entrepreneur. And then the writer writes based on those transcripts. That's, uh, that all has to be okayed by the client as we work together so that they're happy every step of the way and then we take care of all the publishing things while they you know sit back and relax so we do all the edits uh, we do the cover with their approval and when we, when we do the cover we uh, show a client uh, a couple different covers similar um, in, the, in their genre and ask them to pick which ones they like and these are best-selling covers. And then we create, based on their preferences, um, covers that we think would work really well and then have them choose from covers that we all think are great. <laughs> how important so, is the know. cover? You know, how, how would you say, what, what, you know, how important is a, is a good cover on, on a book to have it's it sell? the number one thing. Number one thing. Very it's important. It's the most important marketing element that you have. I mean, it is, the positioning is blended into it. So the title... Uh, has to be catchy and like, there's a way to come up with titles the you know the colors you might be able to 
read some of the titles that are on my uh, bookshelf, even though, you know, they're tiny when you're looking at it, but that's the way you need to do covers. So the title has to be really big so that when you scroll down on Amazon and browse, you actually see the title, the full title on the cover, you know, on that tiny, tiny little thumbnail. Right. Yeah. It's hard to see anything there, especially if you're looking on a, a mobile and I'm looking yeah, at your books yeah. and right away I see Grow Rich, I see Win, I see Next Level. I can read those real easily and they're all catchy, catchy titles. It's like a great headline on, a, on an article, right? And, yeah. and so I can see how that's very important. I, and I often, often see that that's neglected. Not only do people not make great titles, but they make, I'll well, put bluntly, crappy covers. They look amateur. And oh, you yeah. have two books, one next to each other, and one looks like, some guy wrote it in his basement and the other one looks like a publisher produced it. Which one are most people going to pick up? They'll pick up the one that looks like it's well done. They'll assume it's yeah. real well written too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even a matter of the designer because the designer, a good designer that is not briefed correctly will want to please the client and will create this, as you say, crappy cover for them because that's how they have been briefed. And when okay. you know what to tell the designer, they will then create the best cover. Uh, so a mistake many authors make you know, when they attempt to self-publish is describe a scene from the book that they want on the cover and then it just gets busy and makes no sense at all and it's impossible to read or understand. So you know, the designer will do that because that's what they're getting paid for, but that's the wrong way to, to do it. So they really need to be briefed um, correctly and, and shown what best-selling covers are trending right now, what people are buying, and they need to emulate that. And they have to be a book cover designer, not, you know, your friend that paints pretty paintings. <laughs> well, the cover is actually uh, an ad for the book itself. And if the ad doesn't catch your eye or your mind, if it's not written well, if it doesn't grab you, then nobody's going to pick the book up and read it, whether it's digital or in Barnes & Noble physical book, doesn't matter. It's got to grab people. Now, if you use it as a business tool, so for example, you're a public speaker, you go around the world and speak, and you're looking to get hired. If you have a great book, that could act as, a, a, as an ad for you. Yeah. I mean, I actually turned some of my book covers into business cards. Big. Wow, what a great idea. And uh, we also have extra pressure with our covers because uh, we have a distribution partnership with Simon & Schuster. So all the books we distribute have their um, Simon & Schuster profile. All the authors have their profile. So we really need to be, um, our book covers look like they were produced in the same place as the big five uh, publishing houses covers. Okay. So, you know, that's a cover that you can then take and copy paste on a business card and it will look good because yeah, you know, that looks great. that's what it's designed to do. You're, you're supposed to look at it in this small format and still be able to understand it. And then on the back, you can have your picture and you know what you do, who you are. Uh, how so how big is that card? Tool. Is that hmm? just a little bigger than a normal business card size? That's a normal business card. It's a normal, oh, it okay. it's the size it's of a credit card. The, oh, the size of credit card, yeah. It packs an awful lot of information in there. Yeah. It's a whole lot better than just putting your name and your title and phone number on there. People notice it. Hmm. So if you're sending, you know, a, 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 I don't know, a letter to a, 
event planner, for example, to get hired as a speaker and you include your business card in there, if it just has your name and it says speaker on there or speaker author, okay. But you send something like that, you don't have to say anything. It tells the whole story for you. And it says, oh, look at this. This person knows what they're doing. This person's a little bit slick. This person is professional. If they can make a business card like this, I'm sure they can speak well. I'll hire them. Well, I'd send a book. Or, you know, of if you're a speaker, you, uh, you could turn it into an audiobook. If you're a professional speaker, you could narrate it. And, you know, that that's also great. It doesn't have to be even a, you know, CD. Like, I don't have a device <laughs> to listen to a CD anymore. But you could have a download, digital download on your website. Like, I have a download on my website for Outsource Your Book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can just put it on the website, on the on the business card and say, you know, your digital download here. And then they can hear you speak, hear your voice. And that's what matters when you're a speaker. So how popular are audiobooks these days? More and more popular. Uh, and I've had clients come my way because they've listened to Outsource Your Book on audio. or um, So that book lives on Audible and uh, all the other places where audiobooks can live, but it also lives on my website. So whenever we get somebody new in the funnel, we uh, give them this audiobook as a gift. And when we have a you know, sales call, somebody's wanting to move forward with us, I usually ask, so, you know, have you managed to do any research on us? And they say, well, you know, I just listened to your audiobook. And you know, that's amazing because business people have limited time, but they might actually have time in their car or while they're working out or uh, you know, doing house chores, uh, then they can listen. So that's extremely valuable to have an audiobook. Yeah, I, I asked the question because I wanted to hear you say it, but I, I know the answer because I know a lot of people who listen to audiobooks. They listen to them, like you say, in their car while they're doing other work. It doesn't matter what they're doing, but they don't have to sit down and read it. They could be doing something else and still pay attention to it. And people are busy these days. They want to maximize their time. And so an audiobook is, is great as long as it's read well. I, again, you could do that well or not so well. I've heard audiobooks that have put you to sleep and others that you can't wait to hear what they're going to say next. So if you're a good speaker, you might as well do your own audiobook. If you're not, then you should hire somebody to a voiceover person to, 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 to read it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so it's valuable to have a book. It's valuable to have a written book. It's valuable if it's a downloadable PDF. It's also valuable as an audio book. Are there any other formats that I'm missing? Paperback. <laughs> okay, well, physical book, right, paperback. Do people, well, let me ask you a question about that. Are people still producing hardcover books or are they pretty much all paperbacks now? Um, hardcovers, yes, we still do hardcovers, but mostly paperbacks. And, uh, you know, it's just the magic of holding a book in your hand. So I think uh, everybody takes it for granted that when you do a book, you're going to do a physical book. Uh, And, you know, it is magic when you send it to an event planner, when you send it to a potential investor, when you send it to a potential client, when you have a speaking gig and you sell them at the back of the room. Uh, You know, if somebody on the plane asks you, hey, what do you do? And uh, you pull it out of your um, suitcase and give it to them. I've heard people uh, get business this way. So it's, you know, a wonderful tool. And 
while business cards you might be, you know, cleaning up and throwing in the trash. I don't know anybody who throws books in the trash. Fair enough. Yeah, I could see that. Everybody throws the business cards away. Maybe they'll even enter it into the CRM or into the phone, but they don't keep the cards. A book, you'll put it on your shelf and you'll, you'll mm. probably keep it. Okay. What about the size of a book? I mean, that's something that people don't always address. Does it make a difference? You know, books come in different sizes and, and there must be a reason for that. Are there optimal sizes for certain types of books? Yeah, there are standard industry sizes and the most popular are five by eight and six by nine. Those are the ones that we do uh, and most publishers do. Uh, five by eight would be for a slightly smaller word count. Six by nine would be for a slightly uh, longer book. If you have illustrations that you want to, you know, that have a lot of detail, and you want to see them <clears throat> very well, you might want to pick the bigger one. And then when you're doing traditional publishing, like uh, we do, there are these printing presses that are these huge pieces of paper. So the book, um, the book uh, pages need to be divided. We need to divide them by 16 so that this paper folds the correct way. Uh, so it's all, you know, based on that. Then with print on demand, they can pretty much produce whatever you want. But then some libraries or bookstores might not want to. Uh, take that. And then it's also linked to how you're going to package the boxes and then, you know, warehouse them and, and ship them and all these things. So to um, be as widely available as possible, I recommend sticking to five by eight or six by nine inches. Okay. I, I see that, you know, I go to a place like uh, Costco and they've got a table full of books and if they're all the same size, they fit nicely on the table. It's easy for them to display it while a different size might stand out. It, it, a lot of times they go, I, where am I going to put this? And they wind up not displaying it. So if, if it fits the right dimensions, it, it's easier for the retailer and which is better, better for the author. So yep. um, here's a question I want to ask you. You might have a good answer for this one. What's the difference between a writer and an author? <laughs> well, uh, I think an author has authored a book, has a book. A writer is maybe hasn't yet managed to publish it. That's, that's the okay. difference in my mind. <laughs> so whether or not you published is really the biggest difference. Well, yeah. And if you have a book in your drawer, nobody has ever seen it. You're not <laughs> sharing your wisdom with the world. You're not attracting <laughs> clients to your business. You know, it's right. okay. as if it didn't exist. So you wrote it. So you're a writer, but you're not an author because nobody, nobody got it. Nobody bought it. Nobody right. saw it. Okay. All right. So that's a big difference there. And of course, if you're a writer, you can write anything, copy, letters, books, screenplays. If you're an author, pretty much people think you wrote a book. So yeah. that's the other difference. Right? Okay. Uh, what are we doing on time here? All right. Uh, I, that was a lot of information. I got to say, I, I learned a few things. I have a book too. I have a best-selling book on Amazon and mine happens to be six by nine. So I understand. Mm -hmm. I went through that. My partner and I spent days figuring out what size should we make this thing? You know, and it wasn't always easy. In the end, I decided to make it the same size as the competition. We were competing against another popular book and I made it the same size as theirs. It happened to be six by nine. But then I remember talking to my printer and I said, what if I want to make it a little smaller, like maybe six and a half by eight and a half? And they go, sure, you can do that. It'll cost you twice as much to print it because that's not a st standard size. Right. That's the other side of it. Right? It, it, books cost money to print. And 
if you want to make it economical, then you got to use the standard size. Uh, here's a question that you may or may not be able to give me a good answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Is there an average cost to get a book ghostwritten? Mm. Well, I mean, the rates are pretty much from what I've seen and from what we do, we're looking at 40K upwards. Okay. So your budget's got to be 40K or more to write it. And, a you know, we book. do the whole thing. Like we ghostwrite it and uh, package it and launch it on the bestseller list and get it into bookstores. And then there are ghostwriters who will charge that just to ghostwrite it. Okay. Yeah. You're delivering more than just than just the book. You're basically, uh, in a lot of ways, an ad agency. I mean, you're creating this great uh, business promotion device. It's not, you know, if you want to write a book because you have something to say, that's one thing. If you want to write a book to get more business, that's something totally different. And if you want to write a book to get more business, you really had better figure out where it's going to be, how to, how to promote it, how to position it, all those things, because it's really an ad for you. Yeah. And um, being aware of the fact that, you know, it's pretty, uh, it's a commitment to produce a book like that. We also created short, a short lead gen option mm -hmm. so which is a fraction of the price that i mentioned we do anthologies where you can uh, have a chapter in an anthology that will hit the bestseller list and it's also a fraction of what it would cost for a one-on-one -on -one for a solo book so you know we understand what the needs are on the market and uh, that's how we created our offers oh well that intrigues me so i'm going to leave that as my last question if you're writing an anthology book which is a group of people that contribute to the same book, right? You might have 10 chapters and each one written by a separate author. Uh, you share the costs. There's a lot of benefits to that. You don't have to write it all. Uh, do you actually put those together? In other words, do you find the writers or does somebody have to come to you with, here's my 10 chapters and here's the 10 people you have to talk to, go ahead and produce the book. Or can you say, all right, you want to write a book on something and you're going to write one chapter and you want nine other authors. We have in our stable of authors and our clients, we have people who are looking for opportunities like that to write a chapter in your book. Is it, how, which way does, does it go? Is it both ways? Well, yeah, we can do it either way. Uh, we did, uh, for example, and we did a number of best-selling books this year. One of my favorite is Quitless, The Power of Persistence in Business and Life. It's a USA Today Wall Street Journal bestseller. At the bottom on the cover, you see all the authors. Uh -huh. So all of these authors are USA Today, Wall Street Journal bestselling authors. And um, they basically had to deliver a chapter according to guidelines, or we would interview them because that's what we do, you know, in our main business anyway. So we would interview them and go straight the chapter for them and then, the, then promote the book. And everybody in the book uh, gets the status. So and you could also white label that where you could have one author as the main author and then the other authors listed somewhere else and make different copies. And so if I wrote a chapter, I'd want maybe my name in big letters as the author. And I could do that. Everybody who contributes actually can do that. And they all have a book that looks like theirs. So that's another way to promote it. Now, that book, did you actually... Uh, put that together? Is that your project? Is that your company's project? What it's, yes. 
Okay. And, and the authors, how did you find the authors? We attract the authors. Like we have a pretty um, sophisticated, sophisticated uh, marketing department where we uh, find the ideal people that we like to work with. So we get them into our pipeline and uh, at a certain point we ask them if they'd like to be part of it. I see. Okay. Well, that's an interesting concept and probably very effective and cost effective for the authors as well. Mm -hmm. I like that. It is. <laughs> yeah. So you could either say, all right, I'm making an anthology book and I'm going to find people, or you could just be part of one that you're already making or about to make. Now, the other thing I noticed on the book, it said best-selling, you know, whatever the, I think was, um, what was the name of the publications that it was a bestseller on? USA, USA Today? Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Oh, okay. Uh, um, so now that's obviously must be a second printing, right? You can't write that on the first printing, can you? Because right. how do you know it's a bestseller yet? So here's the trick. Uh, we achieved the bestseller status with the ebook first, uh -huh. and then we uh, launched the paperback. Got it. Now, I noticed you don't mention the New York Times bestseller list. Is that for a reason? The New York Times is an editorial list. So you might have the sales necessary to be on the list, but the editorial team will not include you because they don't like your cover. They don't like your publisher. Okay. They don't like your face. Uh, <laughs> okay. So social media, you, you, you're right. You could be just ousted for any particular reason. It's not just a matter of how many you sold. It's they have to like you. Okay. So that's totally different. That doesn't give you hardly any control over it. Yeah. It's not yeah. a pure list based on sales. Yeah. It's very subjective, which has its, it has its place, but it's not necessarily the best. I, well, I, I a few like. people know that, but when you go that's to true. the website yeah, yeah. and then you read that it's based on rank and editorial review. Yeah, it's basically a review, a review site. Okay, I can see that. All right, uh, one more thing I wanted to ask. I just remembered. Um, you work with Simon & Schuster. You get them to publish your books. How, how, a lot of people like to do self-publishing. They write their own book. They get it published. Either they get it printed or they find a publisher. Is it difficult to get a publisher to, to produce your book like Simon & Schuster? Does it really make a difference to have an agreement with them or some kind of in with them like you have? Is it difficult to get a book published by a traditional publisher? It's pretty difficult. You need to find an agent first. Then that agent needs to take you on to believe in your project and then pitch you to the various publishers. Uh -huh. So there's an article I wrote for Forbes uh, about this. Uh, it's called something along the lines of um, traditional publishing versus self-publishing versus hybrid. And um, I spoke with a New York Times agent and, sorry, with a New York-based, mm -hmm. <laughs> New York-based agent, uh, and uh, she told me that from the moment she takes somebody on, and she only takes like one percent of all the uh, pitches that she gets, and those are pitches that have already been filtered by her assistants. So one percent of those she will mm -hmm. take on and pitch to the traditional publishers. From the moment she takes them on, we're looking at about two years before the book hits the shelves. And then the, the advantage is that you get an advance. However, the disadvantage is that, you know, you lose rights and control or the creative control and it takes a long time. So if you're, if you're writing a book on a timely topic and it comes out in two years, 
am sort of not relevant you're anymore. Not right. You're not timely. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has been very interesting uh, and, and enlightening. I'm sure many, many people don't really understand or didn't know until they heard this, the value of what you do. It's, it's a lot more than just getting a book together. So business people are busy. So you help them spend a lot less time on producing a book because they don't have to write the whole thing. Uh, they don't really know how to position it on the shelf or to get it published and get it out there. You do so that you do that for them. Uh, it's very difficult to find a publisher to publish your book, whereas you you won't even take on a, an author unless you know they have a, a good topic. And then you can almost guarantee that you will take it and write it and their book will be published and it'll do well because you, you know how to do it and, you, and you're probably fairly particular on clients that you choose to take on. There's so many advantages to hire, hiring your company than trying to do it on, on your own. The only disadvantage I can really see is that it's, it could be costly. It's definitely more expensive. But if your time is worth $100 an hour or more, and it's going to take you months to write a book, it's actually cheap to hire you guys to do it for them. 40 grand is not that much. I know lots of businesses that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on advertising. This is just another vehicle. That's right. Instead of advertising on Google, the get you to write a book and it's the same money and probably a whole lot more effective. Yeah. You can think about it as a team member, you know, uh, you'll probably spend that a year on a, you know, effective team member that's doing quality marketing for you. Sure, and they have a book that, you know, goes places and uh, markets your business for you. And it's not every year. It's one time and the book continues to live on. That's a great point. All right. Well, that's been great. Uh, I appreciate you getting, coming on my show and talking to our people and enlightening us on your particular business. It's something that I think a lot of people will be interested in. And I'd be very surprised if anybody says, yeah, I knew all that. <laughs> I really don't think so. There's probably two thirds of what you said that is news to them, which I think is valuable information. So I thank you. So how do people get in touch with you? How to get a hold of you? What's the best way to find you? What to submit things? You know, what's the process? The best way is to go to leaderspress.com. When you go there, there's a quiz um, that will help you figure out which type of book is the best for you and your business when you do that. Uh, also, when you go to leaderspress.com, you can grab a copy of that book I mentioned, Outsource Your Book, uh, where we de describe everything that we do and how we do it. And there's the audio version there as well for people who love to listen. So that's really the best place to get started. Leaderspress.com. Okay. Go to your website. All right. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, hopefully I'll see you again. Well, thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com, to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.